Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's Mandalorian time. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have, like, a name for it, so. (laughs) Mandalorian time? Mandalorian time. (laughs) It sounds like a game show, like a segment of a game show. It really does. Ladies and gentlemen, when you hear that sound, it's Mandalorian time. To be honest, I've really been enjoying getting up early and watching Mandalorian. Like, it's just so good. I know we talked about it in our last episode, but I looked forward to, like, setting my alarm and getting coffee. And even though I slept in a little bit later than you did this week, (laughs) we didn't really watch it at the same time. Only, like, about, like, 10 minutes apart. Yeah, yeah. It's really fun, but I'm kind of glad that it's not two episodes a week. Yeah, I couldn't do that because this week like totally murdered me in terms of lack of sleep. And I feel like I've just been running on really good Star Wars adrenaline all week because of the Mandalorian. And like, I just, it feels like there's just a really good energy going on right now, I feel like in Star Wars fandom. And I've been living for it. And I haven't felt this way in a really long time. And I think it's going to continue until we get the Rise of Skywalker. But Man, did it like totally throw me off last night. I was so tired. Yeah, listeners, Charlotte has had a very bad sleep schedule this week. (laughs) And everyone needs to encourage her to try and get back on a regular sleep schedule. (laughs) Because she has basically not been sleeping because of Star Wars. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And today we were getting ready to record this kind of later in the afternoon. And she was like, I think I'm going to make a cup of coffee. And I was like, no. You sent me that text and I just thought, what? <laughs> like four yeah. o'clock in the afternoon and Charlotte is a person who can't drink caffeine in the afternoon or else it will keep her up all night. Yeah, so I'm not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> She convinced heaven. me to not. Whereas so. I'm the kind of person, I could have coffee right now and I'll be fine to go to sleep <laughs> later tonight. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it, it was really it was really nice actually. And it was funny because I have a friend at work um, and she <laughs> was like, oh, did you watch The Mandalorian? Like I'm going to wait till after work. I was like, yeah, no, I was, I was up. I watched it before I came in. <laughs> She's like, oh. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Already watched yeah. it. Have some thoughts. Gonna be going for second viewing this afternoon. <laughs> I had some people approach me at work about it too. And I'm like, they, on Friday specifically. And I was like, yeah, the second episode's really good too. And they were like, it's 9 a.m. And they're like, what? It's out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's why I showed up to work kind of early because you know what? <laughs> I was awake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because of Star Wars. That's what happened to me too. I was at work like an hour earlier than I usually am. <laughs> Um, but yeah, well, my friend, she hadn't, she didn't know that the Mandalorian was coming out until like a week ago. She's like, I didn't even know it was a thing. And I was, and I was like, wow, I'm so jealous. You only have to wait like four days <laughs> for it to come out. <laughs> Whereas you and I have been waiting 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like this show is going to be that kind of show though too and I I feel like we knew this when it was becoming a streaming show that this would be a thing that people kind of get on the train almost mid-season after the first episode after they see everyone on social media talking about it like I think for the past four days I've seen the Mandalorian trending on Twitter every single day just regular Mandalorian not even promoted Disney plus baby Yoda honestly and I feel like it's it's just really fun to see that happening because every time I click on it, it's pretty positive. And in the past with Star Wars, it just hasn't been like that at all. 
So it's just really, really, really nice and fun. And it's fun to see that this is potentially bringing in a whole new slew of fans, mm-hmm. which is exactly what I wanted it to to do and exactly what I think Disney Plus wants as well, because hopefully, you know, you can explore the full library of Star Wars now on Disney. It's just really exciting. Every time I finish an episode of The Mandalorian, it's like, hey, do you want to watch Empire Strikes Back? Every, every <laughs> yes. It's like, you might also like Empire Strikes Back. Like, oh, really? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Number one, you're right. But number two, I got to go watch Imagineering story and uh lizzie mcguire <laughs> right now <laughs> so brv but yes you're not wrong in saying that i would be interested in empire strikes back <laughs> yeah. 10 it's for so 10 funny. <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is uh, the favorite thing you've watched on disney plus so far besides the mandalorian imagineering story definitely yeah yeah i think that's probably been my favorite too i will say i watched the documentary for sleeping beauty called picture perfect oh so good <laughs> it was i have so to good. say I don't like how Disney Plus, in terms of their user experience, I don't like how when I search documentaries, the bonus features of movies don't come up. Mm-hmm. I think that they could should be kind of separate. Like it says you can search by genre and I search documentary and only nine things come up. Yeah. And it bothers me. It really bothers me. That's something that I haven't thought has been great about Disney Plus is that they're searching and like the home screen I don't know it's just it's like it's not all there like you go through the home screen and even like if you click on series and stuff they're not all there and I remember the first time I went through it I was like is this everything like yes that's a lot but I don't know my head I was like everything is on Disney Plus and like you said the documentaries too it's like there's 12 when you click on the documentaries category and it's like there's definitely more than that yeah, because the Sleeping Beauty one that you're referring to is under the Sleeping Beauty's bonus features. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of confusing, I think. But yeah, and like even the one Waking Sleeping Beauty, that documentary, I remember that didn't come up when I first searched documentaries. I, I searched it and then it came up and I wouldn't have known that it was on Disney Plus if someone hadn't told me. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. And it doesn't even have a continue watching feature as well. yeah. Which is is interesting because you have to. I don't know. I, I think I would forget, especially with like such a breadth of content like we have on Disney Plus. I would probably start something and then move on to something completely different, and then kind of forget about that. So, it's uh, it's kind of set up weird, but yeah, you should definitely watch the Sleeping Beauty documentary, the Imagineering documentary. I haven't watched the second episode yet, but the first one I cried four times. <laughs> And <laughs> Lizzie McGuire is on there too. Boy Meets World is on Disney Plus, which I did not know that Boy Meets World was going to be on Disney Plus. And I grew up with Boy Meets World and I love that show so much. And I heard no one talking about how it was on Disney Plus. <laughs> I think it was in that thread, that epic thread. Yeah, I, the epic thread I don't think I actually read, but I'm very excited. <laughs> it didn't really load on my, my phone. It's yeah, too big. It's too big. But I'm very excited to go back and watch some some Boy Meets World episodes. I watched a couple Lizzie McGuire episodes, and I was like, wow, can't wait for Lizzie in her 30s. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. It was good. But yeah, okay, so The Mandalorian – now, the one disappointing thing about this week's episode of The Mandalorian was that it was 27 minutes long, which... I mean, is it disappointing or is it just our expectations were a little... Like, I don't think that... I don't, I don't think the episode felt like there was... I don't know. I don't, I don't think it felt like it was necessarily a bad thing that it was so short. I think it's but, surprising how 
different the lengths are. I'll be honest. I don't know. Probably not disappointing, but it's surprising. I mean, the first episode was a regular 39 minutes, which seemed like that'd be like a 45 minute show on TV. This is this is like the length of an animated episode, basically. Yeah. A 40 minute show would be an hour long with commercials. And I just think that I don't know. I think that there's always something, and I've talked about this on the show before, about like there's something about you shouldn't be put into a length limit or a any sort of uh, parameters like that around any sort of telling a story. And I think that's fine. So I, I don't know. I think that I was like, oh, I wish it was longer. <laughs> but I did. that's just because I want to see more. But I don't think that it necessarily took away from the story itself or the execution at all. I don't think so either. It kind of makes me interested to see how, like, where the other where the other episodes are going to fall in. Was is thirty nine minutes actually the the longer side of these episodes because that was the season premiere, and is twenty seven to thirty minutes going to be more of our norm, or yeah. was this one kind of shorter and kind of on the other end of the spectrum? I don't know. I think that's like a wide range, honestly, for an episode, uh, the length. So um, like you said, I I don't think that this episode felt short by any means um, for a couple of reasons I think we'll talk about later on. But I was surprised at just how much shorter it was than the season premiere. Yeah, I think that's true. I just don't think that it necessarily means it's a huge negative in terms of story. I think it's a negative in terms of experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although that being said, at 6.15 in the morning, it's kind of like, huh, all right, it's 6.45 and now I can be ready for work, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> then I, got I saw someone early. tweet about that they probably saw a screener or something that it was going to be shorter. So that's why I was like, yeah, I'm going to sleep in just a little bit longer. <laughs> okay, you did not share that with me. <laughs> So I was up at 5.45 making my coffee, and then I was kind of waiting for you to wake up, and then I was like, nah, it's got to go. Let's go. (laughs) I was like, can't. (laughs) So one of the other fun things that happened this week for The Mandalorian was they had the premiere, and basically screeners for the first three episodes, and then a – I mean, they had the red carpet, they had the whole deal, and then they had a live Q&A with the cast and creators, and I – watch this also kept charlotte awake past her bedtime and (laughs) i waited until the next day at work to watch it and uh yeah also cried (laughs) (laughs) so good (laughs) it was was a really good q a and conversation um ash crozen did the um she was the moderator the host for the q a and it was just it was so good to hear from them and they still weren't talking about spoilers yet, which I'm excited for them to actually start talking about spoilers from the cast and crew. But hearing Dave Filoni talk about how excited he was and then hearing Bryce Dallas Howard talk about how George Lucas views Dave Filoni as like his son and Dave was talking about how he wished that his father was there to see him and how proud his dad would be. I was like, Dave, it is eight o'clock in the morning for me. <laughs> It's too much. I was shook. The whole the my dad would be proud of me. I was like, Dave, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Like, this, is, this is so good. I just I I just think that Q and A overall was really heartwarming, and it made me really fall in love with the cast and crew entirely. And I'm just really excited to see the episodes we got. Rick Fimiua's, uh episode today. This is his episode, and then we're getting Deborah Chow's episode. I I don't know if that's the next one or if the next one is Bryce Dallas Howard's. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm really excited to see all these different um, 
all these different directors kind of have their stake in it. And then I, Kayla and I both kind of really fell in love with Gina Carano. In a (laughs) big way. In a big way. In a big way. (laughs) So if anyone's listening to this as a connection to Gina, Kayla and I would really love to interview her for our show. (laughs) You're just shooting shooting our shot here on the show. Yeah, I'm like sending out the bat signal. Like, please, I want to. (laughs) I just think that she's – she. I'm just so happy she's part of Star Wars now and she's so cool. And I love how she was like, actually, my name is pronounced Kara, not Kara. That was Everyone is saying it wrong. My favorite thing. She's like, actually, all of you are saying my name. She's like, hi, I'm Gina. All of you are saying my name wrong. <laughs> Kara, not Kara. And I was like, yes, <laughs> amazing. And then John Favreau was like, "Yeah, so Cara Dune." Why? Like, like two minutes later, <laughs> it was it was really funny. She looked amazing. She had a Padme inspired hairstyle. It looked so good on her. Um, it's she just the way she holds herself and the way she talks about being in Star Wars and this experience. It's just it's so endearing in a way. The whole cast is really endearing, and I think that's probably the best word to describe them. Um, but Gina in particular, like she was talking about Bryce Dallas Howard making her feel feminine in her armor. And I thought that was such, I don't know, such like a cool contrast to think about. Cause I think when you look at what we've seen of Cara Dune so far, I don't think many people are describing her as feminine. We know that she's a rebel sharpshooter and she looks totally badass in the shots that we've seen of her. Um, so to hear Gina be like, yeah, she made me feel beautiful and delicate. She said the set was gentle. I don't know. I just, it makes me so fascinated to see what Gina brings to this character and how we get maybe some of that femininity along with her being this ex-rebel sharpshooter. Yeah. And I just think that that is just the major benefit of having a female presence on set as a director as well. I was just, it was such a relief to hear that about how Bryce Dallas Howard was like, no, I don't, if you're uncomfortable with this, like we're not going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I I felt, I was just, I was so happy that they shared that story and that that was something that, uh, I don't know, that we were looking out for, honestly, the very few women in the cast here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it made me super hopeful and just even more excited for what's to come. And you're so right. Like just even the just the attention to detail to allow an actor to feel comfortable in her own skin is just um, I don't know, like a cherry on top. To be honest, yeah, it, it really is. One of my favorite things about that kind of interview with everyone on stage is Pedro. At one point, you, they were talking about the set and you know all of how how so much of it was there, but then also how they were using a lot of innovative technology on set to fill in the gaps where there would be CGI and green screen, but they were able to have it there on set with them from new stuff that was given and being used from ILM, which is really cool. But he was like does anyone know is that is star tour like you know star tours at disneyland like is it still there it felt like star tours <laughs> and was like, Pedro. <laughs> yeah star tours is still at disneyland still there. 
He literally asked, is it still there? <laughs> it was so great. I'm actually so intrigued because I kind of just did a tip of the iceberg about the new technology that was used on set. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait until we get some more behind the scenes documentaries and clips and everything to learn more about this new piece of technology because it was something I heard sort of in like rumbles of before about how this this VR sense that what was being acted could be visualized in camera in shot and Mm -hmm. it really reminded me of whenever you watch the phantom menace behind the scenes um george was so adamant about uh filming on digital so that he could edit right in camera edit in like digitally right there in case something it was it was honestly it's kind of mad scientist-esque and it felt really reflective of that in that sort of innovation that you look towards the Phantom Menace for and you think about like that's a kind of like a dawn of a new time in terms of filmmaking Mm -hmm. and I feel like there's something here that is probably really similar technologically and technologically advanced wise and I'm just really excited to hear more about it because I don't think John while he did describe it I just don't think that he described it in a way that like I need to see it I want to know um more to be honest yeah it reminded me there is that shot i think it's in director and the jedi from the last jedi where they um they're filming the supremacy the the fight on the supremacy and uh ryan is walking around with an ipad that basically like as he moves through the room like in real time the ipad uploads what the throne room will look like once it's gone through cgi and everything and that's kind of what i think was happening on the Mandalorian, but almost to a larger scale, it kind of sounds like from John. Um, one of the things I thought was funny is again, like I feel like I'm having this like love hate relationship with John Favreau. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like one minute he starts talking, and I'm like, you know what? Yes, I'm totally on board with John Favreau. And then the next, I'm like, wait, what are you saying? <laughs> I know. <laughs> was, like, if you guys remember when we went to the Mandalorian panel, some of the things John Favreau said, I wasn't sure if I was 100% okay with. <laughs> but um, I really, overall, I really enjoyed hearing from him at this uh, Q&A. But one of the things he said, he was like, yeah, you know, we're really going for all the practical effects and, you know, real sets, things that Star Wars is known for. But then we also have this like you know, innovative technology. And he starts describing what we've been talking about. And I literally texted Charlotte. I was like, Star Wars is also known for innovative technology. <laughs> like, <laughs> the only reason there are so many practical effects is because George Lucas was still developing the innovative technology <laughs> in the original trilogy. Like that is just as much a part of Star Wars. And in our director headcanon that we have formulated ourselves based on nothing but our own imaginations. Um, that's why we think that George like really loves Ryan because Ryan tried new things in The Last Jedi techno- technologically, um, like the whole clone see- um, scene when Rey is in the Jedi cave. The way that that was all shot is pretty pretty spectacular and pretty complicated so i always think that george would have really liked to have seen that and seen what they did and ilm is you know cutting edge so that's your fun fact for the day is that star wars is yes practical effects and real sets but also innovative technology whenever i can all at once all at once and that's what makes it so special so let's dive into the episode because we're talking about external things and i just feel like it was really exciting you put this note in here and i forgot about it, but it's interesting that Doug Chang is a co-producer of The Mandalorian. I had no idea. It's so I'm so excited. Um, 
I feel like I don't know enough about Doug Chang, and his mark is literally all over Star Wars. Um, starting in the second trilogy, he is just literally everywhere, and he's. I would imagine that he's kind of on par with Dave Filoni at this point, honestly. I agree. His his visual he, he is like the creator of the visual language of the prequels. Yeah, he he very much is. And he plays I think he plays a far more important role than we know of right now. And yeah. whenever you whenever you do hear from him, he has just such a calming presence. <laughs> I just I really need more from him. Um he pops up like all the time in behind the scenes feature ads and things like that and he even did a drawing panel at Celebration this last time and you see him sometimes on the Star Wars show. Um I know he was on the Star Wars stage show at least once I think at last Celebration, but I think it would be great just like I want a documentary about Dave Filoni at some point in the future <laughs> in Star Wars. I think it would also be great to have one about Doug Chang and um, really kind of focused on him and his work and, you know, the the art department underneath his leadership, I think would be really fascinating because like Dave, he's one of those people that has gone through at a high level within Lucasfilm, the transition from George Lucas to Disney. And that's something that is really fascinating, I think. Yeah, I agree. So let's get into it. So the episode opens really with the Mandalorian and the child in a floating cart. The oh, my child. God. <laughs> the child, um, right? Oh, the episode is called The Child. The child. This is the first episode that we've gotten that has obviously it's the second episode that has a name. Um, I've seen some people on Twitter be like, "It's going to bother me that the first episode doesn't have a name," and I agree. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. Really, <laughs> I know. Great, but so this one is called The Child, <laughs> and I'm excited because I like. I don't know when when I saw the child, I was like, "The child," because we said that last time. It was really funny. <laughs> There's that vine that's like the child. Yeah. <laughs> so it opens with Mandalorian and the child walking through this valley. And I think what was it was first off an amazing visual. You know, the Mandalorian is just stacked with amazing visuals set to really, really cool music. And it's just like a lot of walking together. And uh, I just I can't get enough of all those shots, every sort of beautiful sunset or sunrise or earthy colors, earthy tones. It's just so good. And um so something I thought was really cool was when you see the baby Yoda, um, for, you get kind of this inkling, obviously, that you know that there's something special about this creature, this child. And I love that even from the first minute, you get these lizards kind of following him and or her. I don't know its gender, but you get you get the lizards kind of following him and I, I don't know. I, in that moment, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if they, they're following because they're like new to the valley or if there's some sort of force sort of sensitivity with baby Yoda. And I, I mean, obviously that comes true in this episode, but I really liked that. It reminded me of Ezra and his other connections to creatures and how creatures really respond to Ezra. And um, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll be interested to see if that happens again going forward. I definitely thought that it was a force sensitivity thing. Also, it's like anything that comes into contact with Baby Yoda automatically becomes cuter itself because the salamanders, yes. the lizards, <laughs> whatever they were, they looked really cute too <laughs> as yeah, they're kind they of skittering about and following Baby Yoda, <laughs> which from our last episode, I have kind of been referring to Baby Yoda as Baby Yanny. <laughs> In my notes that I was taking while I was watching the episode Friday morning, I referred to him as Yanny. So if you hear me say Yanny 
in this episode. That's why. And I'm talking about Baby Yoda <laughs> until we have a new friend. We've seen a lot of people in our Discord as well as on Twitter have been sending us a lot of name ideas. My favorite um, that Charlotte sent me from someone else has been Yannickin. <laughs> <laughs> which i i love i think it's so fun <laughs> little yanny, little yanny. <laughs> it's so good um i kind of got the feeling i really liked the cold open of this episode where it's just them walking there isn't music while the mandalorian is fighting those other uh people that are also hunting baby yanny um it kind of reminded me i know this happens in a lot of other films and everything like that but for it reminded me of, I think it's in Avengers, actually, or Captain America's Civil War. There's that fight on the boat between Captain America and a ne'er-do-well, <laughs> like a bad person. And there's no music. It's just like a straight shot of them just hardcore fighting, like fist fighting. And I always remember that scene in, Aven- in Captain America always stands out to me as a really cool scene. And I got a similar vibe in this sequence in The Mandalorian. And I really enjoyed it. I like how the music is so unique in The Mandalorian that I enjoy kind of analyzing the parts where they use it and the parts where they don't. And mm-hmm. I thought that... I kind of saw that this opening sequence was really from more or less from Baby Yoda's perspective, you know, him watching the the lizards kind of crawl around and then watching the Mandalorian get in this fight. Um, we kind of kept zooming in on his on his eyes and kind of seeing what he was seeing. I don't know. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Do you think that this I feel like this episode in a lot of ways was trying to put the perspective on Baby Yoda it almost you are seeing things through his eyes. There's even a shot when later in the episode when the Mandalorian is set to find the egg that the camera starts even in his cart, in his little crib. Mm-hmm. And you see half of the cart and only the like the top um, of the cave. And I just thought that was really interesting because I think that I wonder if there's going to be more situations where we're put in the the perspective of the child just because I don't know I think that it's interesting because we have we have a character who I think for a long part is going to remain masked and therefore seeing his facial expressions is going to be kind of um, literally masked (laughs) (laughs) and I think that here we have a character who can kind of show the emotions of the group of both the Mandalorian and the child and I wonder if like the camera will – I think the camera will take advantage of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I was really surprised that we saw Baby Yanny outside of the cart. <laughs> that it like got out yeah, I was and like, was chilling. I was like, isn't that thing floating? <laughs> like that's a bit of a long jump. You're very small. <laughs> <laughs> I was so cute so cute <laughs> just, I can't handle it my entire phone gallery is just photos of baby Yoda right now <laughs> you scroll and it's just baby Yoda baby Yoda <laughs> it's just like every scene is so cute I just swear they did not have to be this cute they're really going for it in the cuteness it's just insane I just can't get over us with our Yoda cuteness factor and here we have something that like doesn't even rank honestly on the Yoda cuteness factor because it's like totally off the charts it's like I um our friend Kate had messaged me the other day and was like did like did you guys know that it was going to be a baby Yoda. Guys, we did oh, not we did know. Not. Was like, we had no idea. <laughs> like, Dave Filoni must have been like sensing through the force. I forget what she said, but she was like, uh, Dave Filoni must have known that you needed to like come around on Yoda because if you guys have listened to that series, you know that Yoda was not 
and it still isn't, but was really not my favorite character when we started that series. But I've definitely like come around to have a much greater appreciation and understanding for that character. And then <laughs> here we go. Two months later, they're like, oh, you thought you had questions about if you liked Yoda? Well, here. <laughs> Here's the cutest thing you will ever see in your life. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> really is the cutest thing I've ever seen in Star Honestly, in Star Wars might be the cutest thing. I mean, cuter than Porgs. I'm, I'm oh going yeah. out there and saying oh, it. Oh, yeah. Cuter than Porgs. Cuter than Ewoks. Cuter than Lothcats. Yeah. Yeah. Lothcats, Lothcats are like a mischievous cute. You know what I mean? Whereas Baby Yanny is just all in cute. Like, right. <laughs> they have very specific types of cute factors. Like Ewoks are cute, but will kill you. And that's like a fun contrast. Borgs yeah. are um, – they're destructive but cute. And then Lothcats are mischievous but cute. But Baby Yoda is like you will die for Baby Yoda. <laughs> I always think of our friends at Blast Points Podcast. If you guys haven't listened to Blast Points, like please do. Their Mandalorian Freakout was a really good episode. Very good. I – they have done so much coverage of how George Lucas uh, – he has a quote that is, you know, we have to, we dare to be cute. George Lucas equals dare to be cute. And this is, Mandalorian honestly is dare to be cute. That philosophy that you should test the audience's ability to respond to cute things. And hello, here we have this. And it's funny about this specific fight and what we're talking about right now with, um, I don't remember the species name. I'm sorry, don't come for me. When in this, this, you know, musicless fight, I remember when they released these photos to Entertainment Weekly, and it looked like stop motion. It looked like action figures. I was so uninterested. Oh, yeah. But really, they had... You remember that? Yeah. And they totally edited out the little crib. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's just so... It's just funny looking back on all the things that they edited out. And when we were like, oh, man, what is the show even about? Like, I can't believe... like. I don't know. This it, looks like such a hard show. Everything that came out, all the promotional stills and everything, I remember, they all looked so stiff. Um, yes. They weren't, yes. They're not great promotional stills. I just got to say that. <laughs> You're right. We all were like, uh, is this real? <laughs> These don't even. It looks like a, like a shadow box. Yeah. Like a staged toy commercial, you know? But I didn't get that at all from the scene. No, the scene was exciting. Really and a really good combat that you just compared to, you know, the Avengers movies. Like, I think that it was a really good scene, but it just did not translate in that <laughs> promotional still. Charlotte and I now have really early morning conversations. Thanks to The Mandalorian. We're on the phone at like <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and we were talking about how funny it was, like all of these promotional shots that came out, like from the series that edited out the cradle. <laughs> <laughs> and now they can be put back in. <laughs> um, it's it's really hilarious. And it still amazes me that they were able to keep Baby Yoda under wraps the way they did. I know. And he just like, okay, let's just let's just go for it. This whole situation with the Mandalorian and a baby is just total big dad energy. And it is just like the cooing sounds this creature makes. Like, I'm sorry this has become like a 10 minute long discussion about how cute baby Yoda is. But like, honestly, the internet is going wild <laughs> over how cute baby Yoda is. And I just have to agree. Like, they don't like the the sounds. Like, I need to need to hear from the sound department 
and Skywalker sound about all the sounds that they sampled and like I'm sure that it's yeah I it's I'm sure it's someone's like baby that they sampled sound from and it reminds me of how R2D2 like a lot of his beeps were like baby coos and everything and I'm like I know they have all those like stored up did they just (laughs) use them for the baby because it's just so cute this is like our last shot review where we had the bonus part four where we just talked about how cute baby Ben Solo was in the book Last Shot. But now yeah. the entire series of The Mandalorian is just us talking about how cute baby Yoda is. Yeah, basically. They uh yeah, they really went hardcore. They were like, make him cuter, make his eyes bigger, make him sound more like a baby. <laughs> and someone on Twitter called the Mandalorian the man dad Lorian. <laughs> <laughs> which i think is just it's really great <laughs> some of the screenshots from this episode even like mandalorian's like hand on the crib oh i'm just God. like whoa what, okay wow this is like activating something inside of me <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> maternal instincts suddenly activated Honestly, like i'm i'm not alone in this i've seen everyone be like whoa <laughs> about it so. <laughs> i mean i'm there with you it's so funny um okay let's actually talk about the episode because we've spent the bulk of this episode so far just talking about how cute baby yoda is and that's probably what's gonna happen at least for five to ten minutes of every episode that we record about the mandalorian just gonna be honest um yep let's talk about force healing because our big question last episode was is baby Yanny force sensitive? He very well could not be, but there's a strong chance that he is. And turns out we were right. <laughs> well, a lot of people were right. I think it was it would be surprising if he wasn't, honestly. But he the question I'm having now about baby Yanny is okay, so he's 50 years old, right? Species age at different rates, which is something we'll talk about later. Um, But what is his kind of intellect level? You know, because he's obviously very perceptive because he understands when the Mandalorian is in danger. And he also understands when the Mandalorian is hurt and he knows how to get out of his crib. (laughs) Um, So Mm -hmm. he's very smart. um, And that's kind of what I'm interested in is is his his perception of things and just how – basically like how independent can baby Yoda be? Um, Is he going to start talking at all? Can he already talk and just has chosen not to so far? Um, I'm really interested in that and kind of bringing in force healing this capability, which we haven't actually seen in action yet because the Mandalorian just, you know, cutely scooped him up and put him back in his baby cart. (laughs) So cute. (laughs) Um, Just how... Um, like that force healing is such a big thing, actually. The fact that there are force users out there that can force heal and, you know, how well does baby Yoda's force healing work? What did you think when you first saw that kind of setup happening? But, oh my God, I was so shook because the actual implications of force healing being introduced into canon, because I don't think we've ever seen it in canon. It was in Legends and everything, is insane especially a month out from the rise of skywalker where caitlin and i have been speculating for like almost two years that like there's going to be some sort of resurrection throughout like among ray and ben 
And I'm just like, if this is something that they're introducing here right before the Rise of Skywalker, I just like, I, this force power to me is, uh, I don't know, like, I just have to think that it's going to come up in the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And I, I feel like what better place to introduce it than in the show where you can kind of have it distilled down to a baby who can use the force, which means that. I don't know. It's accessible to force users. Is it? Or is it just something that not – because like in our Weird Force Stuff episode, we talked about how different force users have different types right. of capabilities. So what I'm saying is that like it is – I wouldn't say it's accessible, but it's definitely a thing. Yeah. Like they're introducing mm-hmm. it to a lexicon of things that you can do with the force. And hasn't John Favreau said that Mandalorian is going to connect in a big way to Rise of Skywalker? Yes, and that's what I always get at because, again, I referred to this in our last episode about how I ran that poll and I was shocked by how many people said no, that they don't think that something huge would come out of the Mandalorian before the Rise of Skywalker. But even by the release schedule and releasing something so close to the Rise of Skywalker, moving up this the penultimate episode to like the day before the rise of skywalker comes out and i just i feel like we're getting something more than just the rise of the first order because sure that's interesting but what's more interesting is this now we have a show that includes the force which we should have known with dave filoni being involved that Mm -hmm. it would have included the force because dave filoni just does that so masterfully i mean it's kind of all we talk about right (laughs) and (laughs) i i I feel like we should again we just should have known with the force weirdness the mysticism and everything like that that it would be brought up here but i do think that it's going to connect in a big way and my brain just cannot stop going off of the idea that um one of our or two of our characters specifically kylo and Ray could potentially have this power. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the resurrection thing is something we saw in the Mortis episodes, but having actual force healing, one, it it kind of reminded me of Tangled when she wraps her hair around Eugene and it's just like magical hair. <laughs> and like that whole kind of setup. I don't know why, but that's what I thought of. But um I, from last episode, I know that we were thinking about like this connection to Rise of Skywalker, that it would be something with like the anti-aging properties that this species obviously seems to have and how that could be really tied to how Palpatine is still around, which I suppose it still could be that connection. But the bigger connection that we're kind of speculating on right now, of course, is this healing one. And is baby Yoda going to encapsulate both why Palpatine is still around and then why Ben and Ray can be triumphant in the end. That's a big deal. I'm legit worried that we haven't seen Baby Yoda anywhere else in canon. And the fact that they want him for some reason, the Empire wants him. I still maintain what I said last episode about how I think that it is this de-aging technology or something that is special about the Yoda species that is so like in short supply that potentially the Empire wants for Palpatine. But I do think that maybe it's the Force healing. I think that Palpatine does kind of um, recruit these powerful Force users and their their special talents. Like even you see that with Ezra, even right? They Palpatine mm-hmm. wants him to open the door. What would happen if Palpatine gets to? or the Empire itself gets to Baby Yoda because it's able to force heal. And how does that help resurrect Palpatine? There's so many questions. 
There are. Right now, my crazy theory is that I don't think I don't think they know that baby Yanny is force sensitive. Or maybe if he is, they don't know what kinds of crazy powers that he has. Um, because I don't think they would be okay with him bringing him back dead. That's what I keep getting hung up on is that all these other people, it seems like, except for the Mandalorian, have gotten orders to kill the child and to bring the body back. Whereas and and this too because when the the doctor came in in the first episode he wasn't supposed to come in um or he wasn't really supposed to be there from what it sounded like from the client from Werner Herzog he was like oh excuse the doctor like he doesn't know protocol like he doesn't know when he's supposed to come in or something like that and the doctor is the one that wants him alive when Herzog said dead or alive but everyone else we've seen who's had a bounty on the child has said dead what if the Werner Herzog character who's working for the Empire, therefore working for Palpatine with the Doctor? Do we know that he's working for the Empire? No, we don't. I'm only gleaning that from the fact that he, he has was a that. Part. He was at least that, probably a part of the Empire. Yes, the Empire medallion around his neck. neck. What if everyone knows that they want this asset for uh, – the Empire wants this asset for some catastrophic reason – and therefore, the other people that have a bounty on him aren't necessarily working mm. for the Empire. Oh, that's interesting. Other parties yeah. interested. Which makes sense to me. I mean, there are all these different yeah. people. It's a lawless time, you know? It is. Yeah, that's a that's a good theory. Yeah, I just think that imagine I don't know. I, I don't I'm not I'm not putting the resistance or any I don't think that's that doesn't exist yet. But I think that like there's all these there could potentially be other people who are involved who want to stop whatever the empire is wants to do with this child by all costs meaning dead or dead or alive is just fine yeah that kind of implies that maybe they know what they're going to do with the child yeah. which i feel like not everyone it seems weird honestly like i like your theory but it seems so weird given just how difficult even getting information about the job was for the mandalorian that it had to be in person there's no basically what i forget what he said um puck about it like no data chip about it everything is 50 years old it's very um like analog by star wars (laughs) standards and so it seemed like they really kept this information on lockdown so it's weird to think that other parties other organizations also have an invested interest like how do they know about it i'm not saying they don't but like the empire the client he kept it really secret to the point where it was like you literally have this code from 50 years and that's it and the Miller Mandalorian was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that's a really good theory, though, about other people wanting to go so far as to keep it out of the the client, whether he is still working for the Empire or remnants of the Empire's hands, that their task is just to kill. I mean, even by that first scene where he picks up the tracker, which mm-hmm. so many questions about the trackers, because how does like – Maybe he would have like Bluetooth or something inside of him that he could be easily tracked because there could be an exponential amount of people who know exactly his location at all times at this point where it makes me think that is the entire season just going to be the Mandalorian on the run with this child fending off people who also have these trackers, all these different bounty hunters, all these different parties who are interested in him all having these trackers and it's going to be like this collection of trackers. I think that would be interesting, but I just think that 
I don't know. I, I, so many people are in on this mission, I guess. Who's going to win out? It's like, um, I can't remember who in Star Wars, but we see this in a lot of other cultures and societies and like films and stuff like that, where you basically collect the the signets or medals of the people you've bested mm-hmm. and they become like marks on your helmet and stuff like that. Um, there's like a specific example on the tip of my tongue, but I can't think of it. So I wonder if collecting these trackers, he'll come back and be like, all these people, like, look how many people I fended off to protect the asset. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a trophy almost. Right. It'll be interesting. So let's sh- shift gears because so after the like monumental healing situation <laughs> that really shook me to my core, then we get this epic shot that I just have to uh, mention with the music behind the Ludwig Gorenson's music behind of uh, the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda coming up over this cliff. And the music is so bright and bombastic. It reminds me of 2001 A Space Odyssey. And mm-hmm. I just got this major sense that here we have two characters who honestly are completely bonded for life. I feel like it and I know this is our second episode, so like this very well could not be the case, but I do feel like that is true, that we are truly on a journey with both of them. And Caitlin and I have been watching a lot of Lone Wolf and Cub, which is, uh, we mentioned in the last episode. Um, so good. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, it's a Japanese samurai movie uh, based off of a manga, and it is really great, but it is totally filled with these like long dramatic shots of Lone Wolf, who is this, uh, you know, lone samurai and his child cub in um, this, they call it the baby cart in this cart. And uh, they're always these dramatic shots from far away. And you get the sense of like this real intimacy between these two characters that it's these characters against the world. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I get the same sense here. I've watched the episode three times now, which is like actually ridiculous. But I think it's also that's another good thing about the short length is that it is super watchable and not like a long slog to get through at all. Um, and I feel like all these shots, this this first one being the one that I was like, wow. And the music just really makes you sit up in your seat of like, oh, my God, these two, these two characters are this is our show. This is mm-hmm. this is them together. And I just can't help but think about all the different, especially us coming off of an episode about how important the bonds between two characters are in our rule of two episode. I can't yeah. help but think that we're experiencing something really similar here where we get a character like you You just brought this up about how much does baby Yoda know? Like, how are we going to see him speak? Uh, he seems really intelligent. Well, I say to that, that since they're bonded for life, I do think that um, I think that Baby Yoda has a sense of empathy and sympathy towards the Mandalorian and as a Force-sensitive being can probably sense his struggles and know his sort of compassion for saving him and can probably yeah. remember the time that, you know, he tried to kill... He, he, kill, he basically offed someone who um, was going to kill him. And I think that there's this sense now of... Uh, one protects the other as we see later with like the rhinoceros-esque creature and baby Yoda using the force to even help uh, the Mandalorian when he's literally kicked down in the mud 
and he basically saves them. So we have this trade-off of saving. And it just really leads me to think that these two are, and I think it is very, it's very paternal. It's very maternal also. I think that there's a lot of like, there's a lot of feminine energy happening. And I just, I think that it's, it's just, uh, I think Star Wars is really pointing out to us that it's this epic beginning of this journey of just these two. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that that bond is still being developed. Yes, I yes, think it's, for sure. It's interesting to see how Baby Yoda just immediately tries to help the Mandalorian, even knowing that he can't see his face. I know some people talked about like, well, maybe the Mandalorian will take off his mask when he's trying to calm down Baby Yoda or, or you know, like a child, something like that. But Yoda, Baby Yoda has already, I guess, sensed that the Mandalorian is someone he can trust and goes out of his way to help him. And I liked how this episode kind of we saw – because with Baby Yoda, it was pretty much immediate, whereas with the Mandalorian, he is still treating Baby Yoda like an asset, which again, this kind of contrasts what we saw at the end of the first episode where the Mandalorian reaches out his hand to the child, whereas in this episode, he kind of actively is separating himself from the child until the very end when we see him reach out um, and put his hand into the cart again which amazing <laughs> and i don't know i'm i'm really excited to see what else is coming next to the point where it's no longer just about keeping uh, the asset safe it's about keeping this child that he does have a full-fledged bond and connection with and i think this episode did a great job taking that kind of a couple steps forward. And then that's just going to continue to grow by leaps and bounds. One of the really great things about bringing in such a crazy force side into something that we thought was going to be so Western and kind of devoid of that, I think we probably would have been like not surprised at all if this series had been fairly devoid of the force because it is such a lawless time. I think it's, it's something that only Star Wars can do, but Kind of bringing up Lone Wolf and the Cub again. Number one, you should definitely watch those films. Charlotte and I watched the second one the other night, and it's they're just so good. <laughs> they're so good, and they are really fascinating to watch with this show in mind. The first film we watched before The Mandalorian came out. The second one we watched, obviously, after The Mandalorian came out. And the Lone Wolf and Cub has so much to say about this idea of destiny and fate, which, of course, is very in Star Wars. And I was telling Charlotte about this on the phone. There's this scene in the first episode, the first film of Lone Wolf and Cub that really stands out to me. And I don't think I talked about this in our last episode, but the scene is after Lone Wolf, the assassin, has decided that he is going to go and seek revenge for his family that was killed, basically. Um, he is in this shrine setting with his child, with Cub, and he has a ball on one side of him and the sword on the other. And he basically tells his son, who is like a year old, like a baby, a child, <laughs> he, says, he tells his son that if he goes – to the ball or if he goes to the sword that's how he'll determine his destiny if he goes to the ball then lone wolf will send him to his mother i.e he's going to kill his child and send him to be with his mother in the afterlife is he if he goes for the sword then he's going to walk i think he calls it like walk the path to hell with his father as they go and seek revenge and the child and he even says to the child he says i know you don't understand what i'm telling you right now 
but it is your choice. It is your destiny that you hold in your hands, which you go to. And that scene just like really stood out to me because obviously the child goes to the sword and the father, the assassin, Lone Wolf, is just distraught because he's like, it actually would have been better for you to go with your mother to the afterlife than to go on this journey with me because he didn't want that for his son. And it just, uh, we always talk about the idea of destiny and personal choice within Star Wars. And that was kind of really wrapped up in that scene in Lone Wolf and the Cub, but having the child who didn't actually know what choice he was making in the moment. And as we see him in the next, like throughout that film, and then even in the second film, he's becoming more like his father. You see him getting smarter and understanding the the quote unquote tricks of the trade. Like he knows how to work the baby cart, <laughs> which we call a Swiss army knife. He knows the baby knows how to work the Swiss army knife cart now <laughs> and uses it in combat with his father in like really clever ways. And kind of going back to, to baby Yoda and how much he knows, like obviously baby Yoda is very perspective, perceptive and intelligent. Intelligent. And so having this really, I don't know, like the force has such a big role in destiny and personal choice. How is that going to play out with like, I almost wonder if it'll be a reversal, whereas rather than baby Yoda making the choice of where he's going to go in his life, it's almost going to be like baby Yoda presenting the choice to the Mandalorian. Like, is the Mandalorian going to continue on this mystical kind of wherever Yoda, baby Yoda is destined for a path, or is he going to leave him and go on his own again once he finishes the job? And I think you and I and probably a lot of people will be like, nope, he loves that child. <laughs> He's <laughs> going with baby Yoda. But I think it'll be really cool to see like a reversal of that scene where it's actually the child who is presenting the choice. Um, because we see the Mandalorian in this episode this is something that I'm still kind of not struggling with, but um, just watching closely is the Mandalorian's personality because we get so little dialogue in these episodes and specifically so little dialogue from him. I think it's it's not a cha- – like it is a bit of a challenge getting to know this character on a personal level because he is mad and because he's not actually saying a lot. Um, his actions do speak very loudly, obviously, but he is so isolated. And if we assume that he is an orphan from him calling himself a foundling, at least until we know more about what that actually is, um, but we do see him kind of recruiting the Nick Nolte Ugnaught to him, like to his crew. Like he's – in a way, he's like reaching out for connection. Um, and in the end, I feel like that connection is going to be strongest with baby Yoda and baby Yoda is going to give him that choice of what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? What is your destiny? Are you going to come towards me towards the force tree? Or are you going to choose the sword, the best car armor of the Mandalorian? And I think he's going to choose. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of this, he's no longer a Mandalorian and he is like just bonded with baby Yoda. Yeah, it would be really interesting to see that happen. I think that I like your idea of the reversal, but I think that something that is so core to Lone Wolf and Cub is seeing the amount of honor that Lone Wolf has. And that really is like that whole scene that you described about the baby choosing his own destiny and his own fate um, really is the core of how lone wolf can put aside his like fatherly feelings really towards the boy and uh make and allow for the child to then choose his own fate and i think i honestly think we're gonna get a mimic of that in this (laughs) rather than a reversal 
Yeah, I don't. I think it could go either way, honestly. But like the baby, like baby Yoda is so. I don't know him. Him being a force user just brings a whole new, yeah, um, challenge to it because yeah. I. I don't know. Depending on, again, I think this depends on what is baby Yoda's destiny himself. I don't know this. We also watched High Noon, um, which is another movie that was recommended to go kind of hand in hand with The Mandalorian. And High Noon was really good. Um, and it was it's about a marshal who basically goes back to his hometown to help it's a Western. them. It's a Western. Um, and it's about a marshal played by Gary Cooper who goes back to his hometown that's in danger um, because his like arch nemesis, this guy named Frank Miller, is coming in on the noon train and is basically going to wreak havoc in the town. And the marshal goes back like he was going on his honeymoon. He goes back to the town when he hears that Frank Marshall is coming and he tries to get other people in the town to help him basically fight off Frank Marshall. And Frank Miller. Frank, Frank Miller. Marshall is- Frank Marshall. <laughs> Frank Miller. Miller. And no one in the town stands with the marshal, um, Gary Cooper's character. Literally everyone turns him down. It's heartbreaking. Um, But the whole time, like a running theme throughout that movie is people talking about what uh, being a sheriff means and wearing the tin star is what they call it, the badge of the sheriff and how like that is so meaningful and it's so important and it's such a thing of honor. And then at the end, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but this movie came out in 1952. Um, So at the end of it, the marshal, he throws down his tin star and basically like says that it's meaningless to him now. And I wonder if that's kind of where I'm thinking with the Mandalorian, like will – is the Mandalorian going to go back to Mandalore to another group of Mandalorians and they're not going to help him with baby Yoda is, is he going to keep that connection to the Mandalorians? Is it not going to be meaningful to him anymore at the end of this, of this adventure, just like it wasn't for Gary Cooper? I don't know because they put so much emphasis on it. And obviously the Mandalorian armor is their identity in a huge way. I mean, that's the way we know who we're looking at in this film. And that Beskar is, like we said last week, it's so important. Um, it's, it's incredibly valuable. So is that, is that value going to change for our Mandalorian as the show goes on? I don't know. Both of these films gave me a lot to think about in regards to Mandalorian. So I'm kind of like rambling and speculating really far into the future. (laughs) But I think it's, I don't know. It's interesting to watch these films now with this show in mind, now that we've seen a little bit, like the first two episodes anyway, Um, give me a lot to think about as far as like destiny and fate relationships. And also, um, like the value you put in your identity in like your <laughs> job title or your um, like your name, like the Mandalorian, a sheriff, um, lone wolf, an assassin, but a father too. It's, it's very interesting. Right. And I think that the first episode really did establish that the Mandalorian is kind of a man of his community in his community being the Mandalorian guild or whatever that is underground. And I think that if we are going to follow a similar, storyline to high noon um which we might because again this was recommended as a a movie to watch to understand the mandalorian i do wonder if like his whole community is going to turn his back on him because he won't carry through with his mission of delivering this asset Mm -hmm. yeah i'm i'm so eager to see that happen 
Me too. One of the other really cool things about Lone Wolf, a detail about the assassin, is so Lone Wolf basically on his on his cart to hell, <laughs> his cart to hell with his child, he is basically an assassin for hire. Um, but one of his stipulations is that when you hire him to be an assassin, you have to tell him all of the secrets about why you want this person killed. And he makes like a big deal out of the fact that if you hire me to kill someone for you, you have to tell me every little detail why. You can't leave anything out. And I feel like that's such a contrast to what we usually see with assassins in films. A lot of the times I feel like assassins in films are like, just give me the money. I don't care why you want this person killed. Like the less I know, the better. Just tell me who it is and I'll get the job done. Whereas, and that's part of what makes Lone Wolf honorable is that he wants to know that the people that he's killing are bad and i and that's kind of like with the mandalorian i think we we've never really seen him as not honorable so far um not in a big way anyway and so i wonder if by the time the mandalorian actually gets baby yoda back to the client and he asks what they're gonna do with him with baby yoda i wonder if one they'll tell him and if they do is he gonna be like nope you're not doing that to my child. And that's when he <laughs> leaves with baby Annie. Or if they're not going to tell him, and that's also part of why he leaves with baby Annie. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was a really interesting detail about Lone Wolf and part of what kind of added to why we view that character as honorable. And I can kind of see something similar happening with the Mandalorian too. Right. I mean, I think that the Mandalorian treats the people that help him with the utmost respect. I think the yeah. example is uh, the Nick Nolte Ugnaught, for sure. Offering him a place on his ship, offering him half the reward, offering him everything, you know, that he thinks is right. And the Ugnaught himself kind of turning everything down at the end, at least, because he says, you're my guest and you brought peace to my valley, which I think is a fascinating line, given the fact that in the first episode, um, the idea that the Ugnaught presented was that if you are a Mandalorian, you will. What what was the line? Like bring? Did he say bring peace? Because you are a peacemaker. No, he said if the he's like I've never met a Mandalorian. If the stories are true, you'll bring peace to the valley or something like right. that. Right. Which again, right. something similar. What stories are he is he reading? <laughs> yeah, but regardless, I think that it is really interesting that like. Here we have a Mandalorian who is, while yes, violence did ensue <laughs> while he was there, did he sort of, did he bring peace slash balance to the valley after so much like, so many people, so many assassins were after this asset? I mean, yes, to some degree. And it's mm -hmm. interesting just to consider how that molds our perception of Mandalorians in general, because to the Ugnaught, you know, this Mandalorian did bring peace. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just interesting. Yeah, kind of a, a side thing about the Nick Nolte Agna is that he didn't know that baby Annie was there. Remember right. We talked about that last episode of does he know what's being kept there or does he not? And he was like a child. <laughs> and we were like, yes, a child. <laughs> and then when he eats the frog. Oh, my God. <laughs> The Mandalorian was like, spit that out. It was so good. <laughs> it, was, it was really funny. <laughs> yeah. I like, I just, I love when Star Wars kind of balances the cute with like the super kind of gross, the grotesque or the weird. Mm -hmm. Just great. Like yeah. it, to me, it's just, it feels so Star Wars-y. It was, 
Yeah, it was really funny. Um, and then you you made this parallel, actually, that was funny about how it was almost like the Mandalorian was in a minivan with Nick Nolte Ugna driving his blurg. <laughs> He's just <laughs> kind of sitting hunched over in the back. And then in the in the background, almost like not even in focus, you see baby Yanny just on the side looking around like so excited. <laughs> So cute. Just Even like out. when at the very end, when they restore the Razor Crest, you know, I, I just think it's so funny that the Mandalorian puts the baby in the back and like, it's like in car seat. It's so cute. It's so cute. I love how the baby car is like on Bluetooth to the Mandalorian. It just follows him around. Right. I wonder how long it took him to figure out how to sync that. You know what I mean? <laughs> A lot of pairing the device that had to happen. The device. <laughs> I this episode um, was 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 good. You know, talking kind of going back to talking about the length of the episode. It was such. I know we said that last episode because it was Dave's. Definitely had a lot of animated moments that felt like they were pulled from an animated show. But this one was almost like to a T following the timestamps of an animated show, of a 22-minute show, you know? Like, we kind of pick up a little bit where we left off. Oh, no. Our conflict of the episode is that the ship has been ravaged. Okay. We kind of – then we try and get it back on our own. We can't. We seek help. Um, Then we're sent on another mission by the people who wronged us. We have that brawl at the end with the rhino creature, and then we get back the razor crest. It was very much like the fact that it was all kind of resolved at the end of the episode (laughs) was kind of funny because it was – like it is a shorter episode. It felt felt almost – not sitcom-y, but like, you know, everything is wrapped up in this episode. (laughs) Right. So let's get into that. So the whole idea that like, I I just think it's interesting in terms of like, this episode is very quiet. So it really does allow you to kind of lean in and think like, okay, what is this representing? Because it's, it's such a visual show to me with like minimum dialogue that a lot of the actions to me are super representative or potentially foreshadowing what's to come. And it really gets my gears going. So I think it's I think it's interesting first that the only way that he can retrieve his home after the Jawas have like completely ravaged it is by bartering and trading. And I just I think that like this idea that the only way that he can kind of save what's his is by not violence. Because there's a line later that is, I'm a Mandalorian, weapons are my religion, which I definitely want to get into. But I do think that there's this idea that perhaps a Mandalorian needs to go on this journey to understand that like violence isn't necessarily always the answer, even though that is part of his, honestly, his DNA. And I think that that's honestly a major Star Wars theme is that violence doesn't, is not always a means to an end. Um, clearly by the message in Return of the Jedi, it's not, it's not the way to go. So let's let's dive into the quote of I'm Mandalorian weapons are my religion. Like I think the word religion here is so interesting. And Caitlin and I both after we watched the episode we were like the mention of religion like can you like what? Mm-hmm. What did you think about that? It definitely stands out and it stands out as one of those lines that again you're going to be like 
that's very different at the end. <laughs> and, right. it, it, you know, it's very kind of Han Solo trajectory, you know, from A New Hope. You know, I don't have time for hokey religions and things mm-hmm. like that. But then in The Force Awakens, of course, Han is the one who's explaining the Force and just how powerful it is to uh, Rey and Finn. And so I think we're definitely going to see that traje- trajectory with The Mandalorian. Um, and again, that kind of goes back to, you know, what kind of destiny, what kind of choice is he going to choose when it comes to Baby Yanny and whether or not he'll follow him? You know, how much is he going to see Baby Yanny do? Mm-hmm. Which is crazy because, you know, I'm jumping ahead, but like him him lifting that rhino, insane, <laughs> almost more insane to me than the force healing. Just like the visuals of it, it was just – it looked – so amazing. Uh, the whole, I think the CGI looked great. Um, the fact that he just kind of lifted him a little bit without even trying and that it emotionally and physically exhausted him. <laughs> he just fell back and went to sleep. Um, obviously, I think it's a little bit more serious than that. He was asleep for a very long time. But I just like that was so crazy to me. And what other things are we going to see this child do that are just going to – really shocked the Mandalorian. Like how much like clearly the Mandalorian's been a lot of different places and this is, you know, just like Han. I've flown from one end of this galaxy to the other and I, you know, nothing makes seen sense. Seen a lot of stuff. Seen a lot of stuff, but nothing um matters if you don't have a blaster at your hip or whatever the line is. Um and that's kind of true for the Mandalorian too. So what is it gonna be? Just how much is he gonna see that's going to change his mind? And, you know, is baby Well just like Han Love is the, like, thing that changes everything for Han. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's just going to be the same thing here with The Mandalorian. Sorry, not sorry, but it's oh, true. Oh, yeah, 100%. The um, kind of talking about the film High Noon, again, too, um, that was kind of a theme that was brought up in High Noon as well. Uh, the Gary Cooper character came. He marries this woman named Amy, who is a Quaker and doesn't believe in guns because her uh, father and brother were killed by gunshot wounds. Uh, and so her having it was it was interesting like thinking about a Quaker marrying a sheriff who literally lives or dies by how well he can shoot, especially in this film. And uh, they talk about that a couple of times in the movie, but how she doesn't want him to go back. She doesn't want him to use guns or whatever. But in the end, she ends up she ends up going against her religion in order to save Gary Cooper. And it's it's really fascinating. I don't know. I just like this word and how it's going to change and people of different religions, of different belief sets coming together is a big part of Star Wars and kind of finding this common ground. And we see some of that in High Noon too between people who are uh, who are married. So they have a very close relationship. And then obviously Mandalorian and Baby Yoda also have a close relationship, are building a close relationship. And so – when that contrast between a blaster and a force is going to happen. And I don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch the Mandalorian change his perspective on the whole galaxy and on himself because of his relationship and love for the child. Yep. Yes. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> and it just feels, doesn't that feel so Star Wars? Like that is yeah. the blueprint for so many different stories throughout star wars right everything changes because of love Mm -hmm. like that is it that's all star wars is (laughs) and i think that it's gonna like honestly you distill it down and it is that yeah and i think that it is definitely gonna be the case here with the mandalorian as well so let's talk about the egg 
So <laughs> we need to talk to the egg. Charlotte is so excited about the egg. The egg is just crazy. <laughs> like, I. <laughs> so the only way that the Mandalorian can get back his stuff is by retrieving this hard to capture egg from this creature that looks like a rhinoceros, very evil, very mean, right? But it's clearly a mother who is protecting their egg. So I think that it's a good place to start to think about eggs in Star Wars because I feel like I've been hearing this so much in Star Wars in the past two years. I don't know about you, Caitlin, but there's this running theme of mothers protecting their children that is really interesting and it literally keeps coming up in every story. First off, we get in we get it a couple times in Resistance, perhaps most notably in the Bebo episode that I feel like I honestly can't stop talking about, even though it wasn't that important of an episode. It just it really does come up a lot in in this theme of mothers protecting their babies and therefore they are not mean because they're they're only protecting. But also this quote that we got from the book Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray that came out earlier this year that is Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's story before The Phantom Menace, where they come across a couple of different um, prophecies. And the prophecies are debated throughout the book as literal or figurative. And I think it's a I we have a whole episode about the whole book, but I do think that this interpretation and this idea of interpretation honestly is very meta because I think that most some of these things aren't literal, but I do think that it's interesting here because one of the the prophecies was the danger of the past is not past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the galaxy entire. I think we've speculated this about like, does this refer to Palpatine? What is this egg? What the heck, right? Yeah, reading it was so question mark. This was the one that everyone was like, WTF? Yeah, it's so confusing. So I don't think that the egg that is cracked in this episode of The Mandalorian is this egg that is the danger. I don't think that. But I do think that any sort of time that a physical egg, which feels so Earth, right? It feels so not Star Wars-y in this way, is present in Star Wars, I think that we it, we should stop and think about all the different times that it has appeared elsewhere in canon. And I do think that this idea of the Mandalorian retrieving this egg and giving it back to, after going through so much struggle to get it, and giving it back to the Jawas, and then the Jawas kind of slicing it open and then crudely going into the yoke and like spreading it around themselves. I've watched this episode three times and I am like physically uncomfortable when I see that. I don't know about you, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's super gross. And I, ke- I I had this thought last night. I was just like, you know, I think that that could potentially be a uh, foreshadowing for what's honestly not going to happen when the Mandalorian has to return baby Yoda back to who he carried out the mission for. So the Empire, the Werner Herzog character. Because the Mandalorian in this instance is kind of repulsed by the Jawas, even like cutting it open immediately. I think it's hilarious, first off, like when they were like, Suga, Suga, like so funny, (laughs) (laughs) right? Isn't that the, it was the funniest thing ever. But when, when they slice it open with like a machete and then pass it around, there's a shot of the Mandalorian kind of being like, ugh. And because this show has so few lines, you have to zero in on every piece of dialogue as important, mm-hmm. in, at least in my opinion. 
And here, I just think that in this instance where the Mandalorian had to carry out a mission in order to get back his home, the outcome is that he stole an egg from a mother and the Jawas are using it crudely. So I wonder if when the Mandalorian has to return baby Yoda back and he sees like this potential for the Empire to do something extremely crude as in the Jawas like slicing open the egg on the top and kind of passing it around. I can't help but think about, you know, the whatever crudeness is going to happen to baby Yoda given the, the doctor's presence. I just feel like it's it's this turning point and the stepping stone is this character to realize that and it probably won't happen. We won't get like a flashback to this moment or anything like that. But I do think it, there is a potential that this could foreshadow what the Mandalorian does not want. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think the prophecy itself is, I mean, when the egg cracks, the danger of the past is not past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the entire galaxy. I mean, it goes without saying that the cart itself looks like an egg. Yeah, that's true. That Also, that as well. Yeah. And so baby Yoda is inside the egg. And mm-hmm. he's from the past, 50 years ago. It's not actually past. He's still a child. He was literally sleeping in the egg in the cart when the Mandalorian found him. And the fact that if whether they're whether the client wants baby Yoda for his force capabilities or for his healing, it's more than likely tied to Palpatine and his plan and his contingency plan or his plans at coming back or the first order rising. It will threaten the entire galaxy. Whatever they want to glean. I think like this feels so obvious now that this prophecy from Master and Apprentice is tied to the Mandalorian, which Claudia Gray, mm-hmm. <laughs> tell us what you know. <laughs> she won't. Her NDAs are too tight. <laughs> she literally will not. <laughs> um, but if she wanted to, we would take that message. Our DMs are open. <laughs> and like that will like what what they want to learn from baby Yoda will threaten the galaxy because it's directly tied to evil. Yeah. And there's that <laughs> there's that line that Dave Filoni says about World Between Worlds and Rebels when um the when Palpatine is trying to get Ezra in the World Between Worlds and in the Rebels Recon Dave says this thing he says um hold on let me think if I can remember it exactly. It's like because when there's something powerful um Evil wants it and evil wants to exploit it and will use it selfishly. And I think that's what we have here. Because when you think about something sleeping in an egg, it is what you've been saying, very maternal. And I think all of our like maternal instincts kind of kick in. Like you said, something was activated inside of you. <laughs> but when evil sees it, evil wants to take it and exploit it and use it for itself. And I think that's what's happening here. And that's what's going to be a threat to the entire galaxy. What's weird to think about is if if this does have as direct a tie to the rise of Skywalker as, you know, whatever baby Yanny has will be tied to the rise of the First Order and or the resurrection or continuation of life for Palpatine. Are we are we going to get a happy ending at the end of this? Because if it is tied directly to Palpatine, it, again, it's like, is this going to be a happy ending for Baby Yoda? I mean, I hope so. I can't imagine Star Wars doing that, but it's just, too, he's too cute. I'm sorry, but he's too cute. I know. Um, you know? 
Yeah, and that was the whole thing with Ahsoka and Clone Wars. It was, and then that was what Jave always says too. I mean, George wanted to kill Ahsoka. He thought that she should, her character should die, and that's what Jave always said was, you know, why do characters have to die? Why does that have to be the end point? But yeah, I agree, and I think that we're going to see the same thing here. Yeah, but why should Baby Yoda have to? But die? that being said, not every character should live too, right? Um, Right. But I think it's like – I remember Dave saying he's like, people always have this like – like a character death is always a great shock moment, but I don't often see people like really happy about it. Like it never like bring, lifts anyone's spirits when characters die, especially beloved <laughs> ones. He's like, so I don't know why people are always mad when characters live because are you happy that they died? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not in my experience. <laughs> but I wonder – I don't know because the the power that Baby Yoda seems to have even now just seems so powerful and definitely something that evil wants, you know, whether it be the client, the Pal- Palpatine, remnants of the Empire, or even Snoke in the start of the First Order. I think they're all after it and all could be wrapped up in who the client actually works for. Um, so it yeah. makes makes me nervous for both the Mandalorian and Baby Annie. Yeah, I am too. But I, I, the Star Wars galaxy is big. And mm-hmm. the story that we're focused on in terms of the the Skywalker series is quite small, given our, like, I don't know, basically f- five core characters. So anything can happen. I'm not that worried about him. I'm a little worried, but I'm not because I know Dave and I know that line that he loves to say. And even with the end of Rebels and everything like that, I don't know. I, 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 I find that the way that these characters are going to go about their journey is going to actually be way more creative than we can even imagine just because of precedent, really. Still nervous. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> first time for everything. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that in this journey, in this very quiet episode, I think that The Mandalorian, I don't know. I think that it's really interesting that in the marketing and everything, we are presented with a character who is so covered, so action oriented so uh, i don't know like has like a knack for violence because he's a warrior but i do think in the scene it's supposed to be somewhat metaphorical to him finding his feminine side even the cave it reminds me of the cave that ray dives into in the last jedi i think that there's a lot of similar elements there in terms of the textures and what i'm looking at it's very feminine and you go inside and there's an egg inside as well. I do think that any time a Star Wars character goes into a cave, I think we have to stop and think about what this means. And I think that in the second episode of the series, after a man finds a baby and feels a, an empathetic connection to him and everything that we know about myth and symbolism and everything, I think there is this something that we have to draw here about a man connecting with his feminine side and uh, kind of embracing that. And I I do think just not to go back to the discussion about the Mandalorian, that one singular moment of him being slightly disgusted at the Jawas, like cracking open this egg. I think that after the Mandalorian goes through this experience of capturing this egg, stealing it from his mother and, uh, you know, entering this like pretty feminine coated cave, to put it lightly, I think that it's really interesting that we have a character who is disgusted by the outcome of the egg. And I think that we are supposed to, just like what you mentioned before and what I said before about how there's something about this show that like activates this like maternal instinct in me and this like love for wanting to see this creature have this like almost like paternal slash maternal presence. I think that we have a character here who is trying to tap into just that. 
unknowingly <laughs> unknowingly and i think it's all symbolic and i think that's what's that's why star wars is so great because it can go over your head or anything or you know or you might not even notice it or something like that but it's all steps to his journey into embracing these two sides of himself both the masculine and the feminine and that's anyone's character that's kind of how it goes <laughs> yeah. for main that's characters like- it's like your psychology, your psychological yes, exactly, journey exactly. of accepting the feminine and the masculine within you. Absolutely. Uh, one thing it makes me very excited to see, I'm really interested to see how they treat Kara, how they write Kara in relation to the baby. Is she going to be maternal? Like I think we expect a woman to be. Um, or is she going to be completely like a rebel sharpshooter you know, total badass. Like, is she going to go through a similar journey too in relation to Baby Annie? What is her – What I'm really interested to see how they treat, like, a woman character with a child in Star Wars because really Shmi is the only one we have seen and she is very much a mother. And we see that with some other characters too in Star Wars, like Jin and Lyra, but it's very short. Um, and then we only get told about Ben and Leia's relationship. I guess we see it a little bit in some of the canon uh, novelizations, but it's certainly not been on screen. So I'm really interested to see how 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 Kara specifically, how she's written with her relationship to Baby Yanni. Right. I agree. I think that in so many ways, I think that you can – you know, write a a lot of meta about how Star Wars is about fathers and sons or fathers and child and all these things. I think that it is present in everything, right? But I think that Star Wars has continuously missed this idea of mother and child and doesn't really, like, I. it makes me nervous when you talk about that, about, like, them leaning into almost two stereotypical ideas but mm-hmm. I do think that this idea of the feminine side being present in the female character, Kara, or, you know, there's several other female characters as well that are coming sometime soon, I hope. God, please. I, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I feel like it, it's in, it'll be interesting to see how they navigate that, like you, like you mentioned. I totally agree. I think that in one way, it would be interesting to see them tap into that since like mothers and Star Wars is such a, you know, sparse thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I hope that it's not basically stereotypical or yeah, like what it, you'd expect. Yeah, exactly. Like she's not going to be the one like putting the baby to sleep all the time. Yeah. Well, I don't, <laughs> you know? I don't think that's, I, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't either, but that's like, that would be stereotypical. Yeah. Of we only ever see her doing the, quote-unquote heavy lifting with actually caring for the child yeah kind of bringing up Kara and and speculating a little bit about her too a like one how are they going to treat her in relation to the child also because Gina described the set as gentle and then also feeling feminine in her armor Again, a really interesting contrast. We know she was a rebel sharpshooter for the Rebellion. And you and I were talking about this the other morning. Well, the other morning. Seven o'clock in the morning. (laughs) When you're having your deep dives into Star Wars. We should record them. (laughs) We should. should. For Patreon. (laughs) Um, It was like, how much of the Force has she seen because if she's like, are we, is she going to be name dropping Leia and Luke and Han and, you know, 
you know, what kind of rumors there are about how exactly the Death Star blew up. You know, Luke became a Jedi. He helped blow up the second Death Star. You know, like, I'm really interested to see that and kind of to bring up High Noon again about how the character Amy was adverse to weapons because of her religion. I wonder, it would be interesting if something happened. Like, I don't think this will happen because we've seen Kara, like, in combat situations. But it would be interesting if, like, the start of our introduction to her is that she has had this complete change of heart now that the war is over and what she experienced both as a sharpshooter and what she saw of the Force when she was in closer quarters with characters like Luke and Leia and um, maybe some other people too, who knows? And I don't know. I, I think it'll be like, what is her kind of openness? Does she already know the Mandalorian? Are they introduced? Is baby Yoda using the force, not something that phases her because she's been exposed to it with her time in the rebellion has that impacted her at all how does she feel about the force is it a part of her quote-unquote religion um i don't know it just i'm very interested to see how her character is handled i miss her and we haven't even been introduced to her yet i know there is definitely i think that i think the complaints for the lack of women characters is valid because i think that nick nolte's character could have easily been a woman but i i i do think that this is a small super small like cast in this episode where it i i think that we're gonna get like really great female characters later and i do think that it is like a crowning achievement that we finally have the first black director in all mm-hmm. of star wars ever with this and i just don't think that can be overlooked in terms of representation because no. it is just so fantastic and such a long time coming and I really just can't believe it and you know to be honest I haven't seen Rick Fumiwa's movies but I know that he has a movie called Dope and I I thought that it was like kind of a trippy movie so I was expecting his episode to be kind of trippy but I'm realizing that maybe this episode because I I think that again haven't seen it don't know but i Pro- that movie is probably pretty symbolic. And I do think that what it, what happened in this movie is like this slow roll of symbolism that mm-hmm. can be easily unpacked and well, not easily, but like can be unpacked. And I, th- I do kind of think that this short episode is something that we're going to be referring to in it, like later. I'm like, oh, remember when he did that? Like, what does that even mean in terms of how he's acting here? You know? Yeah, I, I, it's really fun to have something live action like this to be tracking the story like we do with Resistance and like we did with Rebels and kind of thinking about the smaller story of the episode itself versus how we're playing into the long game of the season. It's just, it, it's really fun to be able to do that with live action. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really glad to be here. <laughs> I'm like never going to take it for granted because it is the coolest thing ever to have new Star Wars on my TV that I can watch anytime that just came out. It's coming out action. weekly, live action, new yeah. new series, new story, and everyone's super pumped about Star Wars right now, and it just feels really good. One of my favorite things from this episode was seeing the bridge of the Sandcrawler and the Mandalorian like hunched over inside of it because he was too big and hitting his helmet on the top <laughs> of it. I just it was it's really funny. Yeah, that uh, whole scene we didn't really talk about that, but that was a cool action scene that really did remind me of Indiana Jones, like coming up on the side mm-hmm. with his 
with his horse or like getting right underneath the truck in Raiders of the Lost Ark and all these like really physical movements of fighting, of combat fighting. I think I bet we're going to see a lot of Indiana Jones parallels, but this one felt really especially close, like just uh, trying to climb on the sand crawler. You know, there's a Mm -hmm. line later that I think is really funny that the Mandalorian, after watching it three times, I think it's funny now, where... (laughs) um, where he's like, you know, they're they're in an impenetrable crawler. It's like, like okay, you tried, but it's impenetrable. He's like, <laughs> I can't get in there. No one can. Yeah, that's what's so funny. It's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it it was a really cool uh, action sequence. I really hope we get some some straight up sword fighting like we see in Lone Wolf and Cub because those sword fights are so <laughs> super crazy. violent. If you guys, if you guys so are violent. wanting to check out Lone Wolf and Cub again, I definitely recommend it. But the violence in that is so intense. They keep trying to like one up the like <laughs> the sword fights, like slicing off like a single nose or like a finger or all these things. And I think that it is it's really it's really violent, but because it's from the seventies, like the blood and the blood spill is like it's literal paint. It's where usually paint. I'd be really squeamish about all these things, but uh-huh. I just I'm like, no, bring it on. It's just kind of like what's <laughs> gonna happen next, who knows? It's still really like shocking, the yeah. violence. <laughs> but I remember we we were tur- we were turning on film two, which is <laughs> Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, Baby Cart on the River Sticks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think we can all bring some meaning from that. Title. <laughs> we were like, seems symbolic. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, huh, River Sticks. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I remember we were texting, and I was like, I wonder how long it's going to be until we get like our first blood paint bath. And literally, not even a minute in, we've got a sword to the face <laughs> we were like whoa <laughs> we're starting yes it was uh yeah lone wolf and cub is very good uh you all should definitely check it out so that we can all talk about it because i think it's pre- and apparently dave was a big fan of these films like before they started the minute like he's been a fan of these films for a while now i'm I don't know. I for once I don't have an exact quote where I can pull that from with Dave Filoni, but um, it's very clear to see the symbolism or the the direct literally the direct ties to this film from the initial setup. And I hope that now that it is you know we're on the second episode. Clearly, Carl Weathers has more or less spoiled. <laughs> Carl Guys, Weathers, Carl, he just he can't. He's not that. Well, he's not that so good bad. at like so you know, talking around things. He's like, well, there's a, you know, he has this little one that he must protect. Like he, he's adopted. He, he said that like three days before the, the <laughs> movie, the show came out, and like it's really funny in the interview. It was an interview from for Collider. You see Gina like put her hand like kind of lovingly on Carl Weathers's back because <laughs> it's not like she can be like Carl, like how dare you say that? But like. <laughs> so funny it was and pedro is also there and he just kind of like freezes and then (laughs) at the first chance he interjects with some other random anecdote and gina's like yes yes pedro tell us more (laughs) like let's get off this track of the fact that he dropped the major spoiler (laughs) (laughs) well you know we really see the mandalorian like he's this (laughs) you know and like we see his character change now that he has this little one that he's adopted (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and then at the Q and A, um, the premiere that we were talking about at the top of the show, he also said something too that I was like, that that feels spoilerly. Like, yeah, I, I just like don't remember what need, it is. Me neither. I'm like, I'm gonna need to circle back to what you just said because I feel like that. Is- it might have oh, been think- a similar comment about I the little it- one. I think it is, and I think it implied that the that Carl Weathers' character is going to be like on this adventure with them. Like, I would the love child. to see that. I think I think that's what it was. I don't remember. I don't know if that counts as a spoiler, guys. So I'm sorry if it does. Um, I honestly don't remember, but that's kind of what I think it. The comment was from Carl Weathers. You can't like his character have to, has to be bigger than just like the three lines he said in episode one, right? Oh yeah, like, definitely. Given the fact that the Mandalorian is going to have to return and make this decision about whether or not he presents the asset or not, I I wonder if Grief Carden is going to. I don't know. His name also like makes me think about what that means, but I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'll see, right? And yeah, I, I you can't you can't waste Carl Weathers with just mm. three lines. Like, come on. Come on. Yeah. No. Uh but yeah, Carl Weathers is he's gonna be like a Adam Driver for sequel trilogy press that you have to use him <laughs> sparingly or else he'll just spoil everything. The whole thing. This <laughs> just so funny. Yeah, it really is. This episode was very good, and I really liked it, and I really love The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and I'm I really too. obsessed. Yes, yes, and uh, please send us more of your Baby Yoda, Baby Yanny, or Baby Yannikin photos. We'll take them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're still <laughs> trying to figure out what we're going to do with this show in terms of our Mandalorian discussions, but I do think that it's just going to be like, I don't think we're going to do a three-parter for The Mandalorian Right, Caitlin? Like, I think we, we like this. I have no idea. I, yeah, I, I've liked our discussion so far. If you guys have opinions, let us know. <laughs> we do do three-part discussions for our main show as well as our resistance. So if you think that works better, you can tell us. But I think for now, we're going to, I think we're going to go with this kind of reaction. This is how we usually do our Patreon episodes too, is more kind of, not stream of consciousness because we do have show notes, but kind of more... I don't know, all together, <laughs> I, I don't, mm-hmm. not three parts. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think going forward, we might try out some different things. But for now, I think we're pretty happy with this so far. And uh, we are still reviewing Resistance. Like we said, we'll have a new episode of that coming out. We're recording this on Saturday. So we have a new episode of Resistance coming out tomorrow on Sunday. And we are just chugging along to the Rise of Skywalker. And... Get on board. <laughs> Get on board. Get on board. I <laughs> the train got... is going so fast. We're like <laughs> the lightning train in Japan, the Eurostar. <laughs> We're just flying towards there. <laughs> we are like the train in high noon. We, we <laughs> are. Chugging along. And Frank Miller is actually Palpatine <laughs> getting <laughs> off the train when it comes in on uh, – well, it's funny. It's coming out in December, which is the 12th month. Wow, oh, high noon. Wow. They did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Uh, was there anything else you want to say about this episode of The Mandalorian? No, besides the fact that I just really like the theme and I'm just really obsessed with it now and it's really stuck in my head. And I'm sure I speak for a lot of people in this because I think it's a theme that's just getting stuck in everyone's head. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode of The Mandalorian, Chapter 2, The Child. (laughs) The the Child. The Child. Uh, I can't wait for, like, all the Christmas 
memes, you know, because like all the Christmas carols are about the child, baby Jesus, but now we can substitute <laughs> baby Yanny. I didn't think about that, but that's really funny. That's what I'm thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking about Christmas, but it's baby Yoda. <laughs> 2019 has been a crazy year for yeah. me in Star Wars, guys. It really has. Somehow Charlotte and I become ship people, like actual ships, not just Raylo. <laughs> and I've had a complete redemption arc with Yoda yeah. and now his whole species. So, uh, you know, <laughs> what will 2020 bring? I don't even know. Anyway, uh, if you want to follow us on social media, our Twitter is at SkyTalkersPod. I think we mentioned this on our last main show, but we probably will be turning off Twitter as we get closer to the rise of Skywalker, both our personal handles as well as the podcasts, just to continue to avoid spoilers and things like that as more and more keeps coming out and people get more and more uh, almost like trigger happy on Twitter (laughs) as far as what they hear about the films. We don't know when that's going to be, but it probably will be coming. But for now, and at least through the end of November, probably you can find us on twitter at skytalkerspod or our personal handles mine is at caitlin fletcher and charlotte's is at clarity we also have our website skytalkers.com as well as instagram and facebook please 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 leave us a review on itunes and if you want other ways to support us you can also check out our patreon Yes, absolutely. And I want to say a huge thank you to our amazing patrons, Joey, Jason, Marty, Spencer, Kathy, Gee, Jenna, Jessica, Mike, Thomas, Bridget, Shelbo, James, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Bradley, Debo, Irina, Edith, Jacqueline, Rachel, Lady Vader, John, Kevin, Ian, Raz, Lakshana, Candice, Ewan, Tom, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Kimma, Julia, Matthew, Captain Britton, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Megan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, I, Rebel, Kimberly, Vundercast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, David, Lumper Maru, Patrick, James, Hammy, Neil, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Alaya, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Amy, Jared, Claire, Brad, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.